Welcome to the Cure Church Lee Summit Podcast. Here at the Cure Church, we believe Jesus is the cure for whatever you may be going through. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, we pray this week's message encourages you. So Father, come on, lift up your hands all over this place. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, for what you've been doing and what you're about to do right now. Father, I pray that every man and every woman in this place, God, will have a heart to receive, an expectation in their spirit, God, to receive everything that you have for them. Father, I pray, Lord God, as always, God, because I know I am just a vessel. It is not my word, but your word that I'll be speaking. So I pray, God, that you would anoint me to speak your word, God, with boldness and passion and clarity. I pray anoint every ear and every heart, God. Father, I come against distractions right now, Father. I pray that our heart and our mind will be on you and you alone. Father, we pray that you would flood this place, God, with your presence. Flood this place, oh God, with your power and your spirit, God. Father, we thank you right now, God, because this is going to be the best service we've ever had, God. So I pray, speak to us and speak through us, Father. We love you and we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Will somebody give them praise one more time? Hallelujah. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead and find your seat this morning. Listen, I don't know about you, but I, you know, this is November, and I, I've been, I'm grateful always, amen, but listen, I am so grateful for God's glory showing up in our services, amen? These last few weeks have just been phenomenal. I've had more people never had come in here like, Pastor, this is so good, it's so good, amen? And, and listen, I've noticed God's glory in so many different ways. I've noticed, amen, his glory in our worship, Come on, I've noticed it, amen. I've noticed the glory in the wonderful families that God keeps bringing in every week to the Cure Church. I've noticed his glory in people responding to God. Come on, not just hearing the word, but being doers of the word, seeing glory in the lives of people that, that are seeing things change inside of them. I see his glory everywhere. Amen, I see it everywhere. We just have to pay attention and be aware. And we also have the opportunity to give him glory back. It's not only that I see God's glory at work, but I see God's glory at work in me so much so that I want to give it back to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Listen, we just have a heart to please him. And when we have a heart to please him, glory goes right back to God. Amen. Can I tell you something? There are more ways to give God glory than worship. Come on, you you think, well, I can't give God glory because it's Thursday. We don't have church till Sunday. Listen, we give him glory with our lives. With how we live, we give God glory. Amen. Paul even said this. Paul said, listen, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Come on, somebody. So when I hear that, it makes me understand that, you know, we just took up offering and I'm giving something to God, but I don't want to just give it, amen? I want to give to the glory of God. Are you hearing me? It's not that I'm giving. I'm giving knowing that God, when I give a gift to you, I am giving to the glory of God, amen? So I want to give to the glory of God. I want to receive to the glory of God. Meaning when someone blesses me, I'm not just going to take it and not be thankful. I'm going to take it and say thank you Lord for your goodness thank you Lord God for blessing me somebody with me see listen he's saying this that I want to love to the glory of God I want to forgive to the glory of God are you hearing me I want to do everything I do to the glory of God see this is why we do all that we do to the glory of God because the more glory that goes up so you have to understand this principle when I give to the glory of God, when I receive to the glory of God, when I love or forgive to the glory of God, I'm giving him glory. So you would think, well, you know, why do you give God glory for being able to forgive? Because without God, I wouldn't be able to forgive nobody. So I, for whenever I do anything to the glory of God, my glory goes up. Hear me this morning, my glory goes up. And when my glory goes up, it has the possibility of coming back down, raining on me, showering on me, amen? It has the ability to come back upon me in a greater way. And when that happens, stay with me, the world will believe that there is a God, amen? And that God is changing you. That God is transforming you and renewing you. And when the glory comes on my life, I can live it out. So people will come and say, I believe there is a God because your life is not the 
Your life has changed. You're a new man. You're a new woman. I believe that God is real. And when that happens, watch out. When that happens, people will say, I want what you have. They will become attracted to the glory that is on your life, amen? And they will want the glory that surrounds you. (sighs) Don't let these last few weeks become just another message. Don't let it become, oh, that was real good, Pastor, but nothing changes. Let it usher in a change to your life, a new mindset, a new thinking, a transition to glorified living. Through this, let some addictions be broken. Strongholds be broken. Come on, I want to see some chains coming off some folk, amen? This morning, I want to talk to you about the glory of the new covenant. You, hey, if you, if you don't take notes normally, I encourage you to take notes this morning. Because this is some good stuff that God has showed me. And I don't want you to forget it. So you, everyone has phones, and everyone has a little note section on their phone. Take notes. Don't be texting. <laughs> the glory of the new covenant. And that, that description, that title, is not something I came with. Paul calls it the glory of the new covenant. Now, covenants are as common today as they were in the Bible. A covenant is a formal binding contract or agreement between two or more parties in which each party agrees to abide by specific terms spelled out in the covenant. Marriage is a covenant. Come on, married folk. Marriage is a covenant. It's not just something we do all willy-nilly, amen? It is a God covenant. But let me even take it to you just a little bit simpler. Getting a loan to buy a house is a covenant. Come on, you and that banker in covenant now. I'll loan you some money, you're going to pay me back. Every month, plus interest. A lease on a car, covenant. You're making a promise that I'm going to keep paying for this car until I pay it off. These are agreements, listen to me, that bind us. And to make a covenant a covenant, it takes all parties involved to come into agreement. It is not a covenant if only one person agrees in the covenant. All right? It takes all parties involved within it to come into agreement. Now, throughout the word of God, you begin to see God establishing covenants. As early as Noah. Now watch this. He promised Noah that he would keep his family alive, but on your part, Noah, you have to build an ark. Amen? Amen. I'm going to keep you alive, but you have to build this ark at the direct and extinct specifications I give you. It has to be exactly right. So they go and build this ark, and now the rain comes, the rain floods, and the rainwaters wipe out the entire population. Right? Now that's not even a big part of the covenant. So the water recedes. Noah and his family get out of the boat on dry ground for the first time in however long it was. And he told Noah that a sign of my covenant is this, that I will never destroy the world again or the population within it. And to prove this covenant and remind you of my promise, I will put forth a rainbow as proof of my covenant. Now, we know that there are individuals and people who have taken that rainbow and perverted it. But it is a promise of life. It is a promise of God. Amen. So listen, they can do whatever they want to do. I'm not letting them preserve, pervert, amen, the rainbow, the promise of God. The reason we're still here. The reason why in the midst of all this sin and chaos in our world and we've not been wiped out yet is because God made a covenant. And we were not allowed to be perverted. He also made a covenant with David. And this is a powerful covenant. See, God promised David that one of your descendants will be on a throne always. And it, and it happened because Jesus is still on the throne. 
as a descendant of David. But he said this, he said that there will always be a descendant of your family on the throne. Now, I, I love the Old Testament. I, I, love, I love 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, all those things. And when you read it, you begin to see the descendants of David always on the throne. But when they were on thrones, the majority of them would live sinful lives as kings. And because God is so faithful with his covenant, that even though they were sinful kings, he would never remove the lineage or descendants off the throne. He would replace them with another, but there was always a descendant of David on the throne to this day. So when God makes a covenant, he makes a covenant. And what I want to talk about this morning a little bit is this. He made a covenant with Abraham. All right, stay with me, because I'm telling you, man, this is going to be good in Jesus' name. So he made a covenant with Abraham. But then he made the same covenant with Abraham's son, Isaac. Exact same covenant. Then he made the exact same covenant with Isaac's son, Jacob. And then he made the exact same covenant with Jacob's 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. All right? So God's promise and covenant with him is this, that if you obey me, number one, then you will be as numerous as a sand upon a seashore. Can you count the sand on the sea? No, you can't. And the, reason was, and the reason why it was so glorious was this. When he gave Abraham that promise, Abraham didn't have a child. He didn't have a son or a daughter, and he was old in age. Come on, somebody. So when God comes and says, I'm going to establish a covenant with you, even when it seems like this can't happen, it, it can't. It's impossible. God says, with me, all things are possible. So what you see is something that cannot happen. I'm telling you it will. Abraham's like, hold up. We don't get down like that no more. Me and my wife, we didn't pass that stage. Come on, somebody understand me. Come on, we, we, we sleep in separate tents now. <laughs> but God did what he said he'd do. And when he made the covenant, he produced a seed by the name of Isaac. Now, even when Isaac was born, God said, I'm still going to test his faithfulness and told him, I want you to sacrifice your only son, Isaac, on the altar. The Bible says Abram got, got up the very next morning quickly and hurriedly to take his son. And, you know, of course, we know the story when he pulled up the knife to sacrifice his son. The Lord said, no, because I know you will not hold out anything for me. And that was the beginning of the blessing of the covenant that God made with Abraham and his family. Amen. So real quick. So down the line, Jacob had a son. He had 12 sons, one of them by the name of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by jealous brothers sent to Egypt. In Egypt, he was a servant of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife said he tried to rape me, which was a lie. Potiphar had him sent to prison in Egypt. While in prison, he interpreted the dream of the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh took him out of prison and put him second in command over all of Egypt, second to only Pharaoh. All right? So as he's in command of all of Egypt, he finds out my brother's still out. They came, whatever. They, they reconciled. They made things right. And Pharaoh was so happy for him. He said, listen, I want you to bring all your family here. I have land in Goshen. And I'm going to give you all of it. So he brought all of his family and his father. They came to Egypt. Once in Egypt, you begin to see the manifestation of God's promises. They begin to explode. They were everywhere. So years go by. Pharaoh dies. Jacob's father, I mean, Joseph's father, Jacob dies. Joseph dies. But now you have the Hebrew people living in a foreign land. They begin to increase in number. The new Pharaoh who had no idea who Joseph was had no idea what promises were made, looked at the Hebrew people and said, there are too many of them. If they decide to revolt against us, we'll be in trouble. So the plan is we will make them slaves. Okay? They became slaves. After years of being slaves, they began to cry out for God. We want freedom. We want deliverance. God sends Moses. Moses was used by God to show his glory and his might. The Pharaoh who was there eventually sees all these plagues begin to come. The last with the firstborn son being wiped out. He decides, I got to let these people go. He eventually releases the Hebrew people. God promises that I'm going to take you to a promised land. Stay with me. 
While they were there on their journey is where we get the official covenant God makes with the people on Mount Sinai. And Exodus 20 is where God speaks. He says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Those are the exact words, out of the house of slavery. He gives them, while they're on Mount Sinai, he gives them 10 commandments. And most of us think that's all he gave. After the 10 commandments, he begins to lay down law after law after law. Bunches of them. Laws about sideburns. Laws about what kind of clothing. I mean, laws all over the place. And they said, these are the laws that I'm establishing with my people. And at the end of all, everyone agreed. All parties have to come into agreement to make a covenant. All parties agreed that we will obey these laws and these commandments. And God promises, I will always be with you as long as you obey. To make this story short, they didn't. It didn't take very long either. They fell short. They sinned. They broke their promises. Can I tell you something, old church? That even though we fall short, even though we break our promises, God will never break his promises, amen? His, listen, his promises are yes and amen this morning. He promised I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that doesn't mean that I get to live all willy-nilly. That just means that we have a faithful God we serve. Come on, he is faithful to a thousand generations. He is not a God that he should lie. He promised, I ain't going nowhere. You may abandon me, but I will never abandon you. You may go after other gods, but I will stay faithful. Not because it's what I have to do, it's because it's who I am. I am faithful. I am true. I am honorable, amen? That is the God we serve this morning. So even though God was brokenhearted, and how they abandoned their faith, worshiped other gods, the Lord still loved his people. He wasn't going to destroy them. Why, why wouldn't the Lord destroy them? Because he promised I wouldn't. He said, there's a rainbow in the sky that reminds me of my covenant. And you know what his desire was? His desire the whole time was just to bring them back out of grace and mercy and love. Because the truth is, he could have said, like, you know what? I'm done with the Hebrew people. I'm done with the Israelites. I'm done with Jews people. I'm going to God and find someone else who's going to respect me and love me. He could have done that. See, our covenants ain't very strong. Watch. Get offended and see how quickly you, oh, it's God that I move on. It's God's calling me to another place. No, you're offended. Call it what it is. But we don't, that, that means my covenant commitment with the house of God wasn't really that strong. All it took was me to get offended at somebody and I dipped. I wouldn't clap. Hallelujah for my wife <laughs> covenant in marriage something goes wrong we're looking for an exit looking for a way out come on we can talk about these houses and cars too I don't like this car no more I'll just let it go back but you know what when we as believers make a covenant that's our testimony So that means that we have to be faithful in business dealings as they were spiritual. Come on, we don't don't lie and say we're going to do something and don't do it. We have to keep our word, even even if it's hard. Can I tell you what God is looking for above everything else, above all things? He's looking for relationship. He's looking for relationship. He wants a relationship with each and every one of us this morning. He wants relationship, amen, with the people he created. And you know what else he's looking for? A heart of obedience. Listen, not out of control, but out of love, out of trust, out of knowing and realizing, God, you know what's best for me even when I don't think you do. Even, even when I don't think it for myself, God, I have to trust that you know what's best for me. Now, God's plan for a new covenant was put in motion even in the Old Testament. It was prophesied by Jeremiah. Jeremiah said in 31, 31 through 34, it says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant. 
I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. You know how true that covenant is? Whether people are in church or not, they know the name Jesus. They know the name Jesus. So again, prophesied in the Old Testament and came to pass with the birth of the only begotten son, Jesus Christ, and confirmed with his blood. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22, verse 19 and 20, and it says, and he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Now, I spoke last week, amen, that Jesus was the visible image of an invisible God. So, listen, this is so, so God knowing us, knowing our sinfulness, knew that he couldn't just tell us the new covenant, but he actually had to become the new covenant and live the covenant before us. It had to be more than instructions written on some tablets. He had to live it out before us. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he said, it is finish. Amen. And he was referring to what he was brought onto the earth to do and also the establishment of the new covenant that brought us back into relationship with the father through the tearing of the veil so we can come boldly to the throne of grace. It established grace in the form of Jesus bearing our sins on a cross so that we can be forgiven as long as we come to God with a repentant heart. That's the thing. Well, I'm forgiven. Did you ask for forgiveness? Did you have fruits of repentance? See, there's, there's something about it. You don't just walk around forgiving all the time and you're just living a sinful life. It takes getting on my face and saying, Lord, I repent of my sins. And not only do I repent, I'm going to show you I repent by the way I live. And the way I live, I'm not going to keep doing the same dumb stuff, God. I've been doing over and over. I'm not taking your grace for granted. I'm going to live a changed life because of my love for you. So the blood that confirms the new covenant has a power to wash us and cleanse us from our sin and all unrighteousness. Let me tell you what's in the blood. It's more plasma. It's more than white blood cells and red blood cells and platelets. Let me tell you what's in the blood of Christ, amen? In the blood of Christ, there is redemption in the blood. There is fellowship in the blood. There is peace in the blood. There is life in the blood. And more than anything, there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you understand where we'd be without the blood? And the blood has the ability to cleanse us. Come on, when you're dirty, you take a shower. When you're full of sin, you take the blood and allow it to wash you and cleanse you and make you whole again. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 through 15 says, Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify your consciences from sinful deeds. Oh, God. So, so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they committed under the first covenant. Just reading that, I can feel the Holy Ghost. Under the old system, under the old covenant, people had to sacrifice animals to atone for their sins. But the problem is this church, it never dealt with the whole issue. Somebody better hear me this morning. It never dealt with the whole issue. When you sacrifice an animal, all it did was put a band-aid over your wound. 
It, it never dealt with the whole issue because under the old covenant, there was never a hard thing. It was just an outward thing. Under the old covenant, when someone was deemed to be unclean, they would have to sacrifice an animal. The animal sacrifice would cleanse them physically, but would not cleanse them spiritually. Oh, come on. Listen, listen. Jesus came not as a goat, not as a bull, but as a lamb of God. Amen. And the sacrifice of Jesus was greater than any other sacrifice because his sacrifice didn't just bring a temporal solution. It brought an eternal solution. That's why we could be saved. I don't want to be cleansed for a minute. I want to be cleansed for eternity. Listen, under the old covenant, I could sacrifice what God called me to sacrifice under whatever sin I committed because after the Ten Commandments were given, he began to give them laws. And by those laws, he would say, if you did this sin, you would need to sacrifice this. If you did this sin, you need to sacrifice this. If you're poor and you don't have one of those, you can do this instead. So he began to give these laws. So under the old covenant, I can come and I can sacrifice what God called me to sacrifice so that the priest could deem me clean. Watch this. When Jesus had an encounter with ten lepers... He told them, they're begging, Lord, heal us. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. He comes to them, not afraid. He didn't even have a mask on. <laughs> Lord Jesus. All right, so he comes to them, and, and, he, and he tells them, go, turn away, and you will be healed. All 10, remember? All 10 turn and they're all healed. And they're all excited, they're all pumped up. But then only one comes back and he falls at his face and he's a Samaritan. And he begins to give praise to God. God said, wasn't there 10 of y'all? But only one comes back. That's my version. What, 10 of y'all? <laughs> what happened? But only this foreigner comes back to give God praise. You know what he said after that? He said, go and take your gift to the priest so you can be clean. What does that mean? That means under our old establishment, even though Jesus just did what he done, because remember, the new covenant established with blood. Ain't no blood spill yet. So even though he had been healed by Jesus himself, Jesus still understood that there was an old system at work and that you have to go all the way to the high priest, the very ones that told you to get out of here in the first place, and take them a gift, a sacrifice. All right? So under that old system, that's what we would have to do. But here's a problem. I could become unclean again. I could become unclean the next day. With Jesus, he said, it is finished. Right? So what that meant was my debts are paid, my sins have been forgiven, the blood washed me and made me whole, so if I did fall short again, I don't need to sacrifice nothing. You are my sacrifice. And what that means is this, I don't need to sacrifice an animal, I just need to ask for forgiveness for my sins for the one who carried my sins. Oh, Rababa. Come on. And here's where I want to show you how powerful the sacrifice of Jesus was. The writer of Hebrews, we just read this. Put that back up there one more time, Chris. Put a verse just so they can see it for themselves. Ooh, bah, bah, bah. Verse 15. So this is how powerful it is. So Jesus, through this writer of Hebrews, says that Christ died to set them free. Look at that bottom portion. Christ died to set, not us, them free. For some of you, like, so? Let me show you how powerful this is. He said, to set them free from the penalty of the sins committed under what? The old covenant. So that means that Jesus' sacrifice was so powerful, not only did it atone of everyone who would come after his death, burial, and resurrection, but all those who came before his death, burial, and resurrection. All those who committed a sin under the old covenant could be forgiven by my works. Paul was a man who benefited from this new covenant, just like we all did. Listen, we're, we're in benefit of this new covenant. 
Thank the Lord for the new covenant. Come on. But, but it's amazing to look at his life in particular since he was one who actually upheld the old covenant. Paul was a Pharisee. He was religious. He upheld the old covenant and the old system so much so that he tried to put believers to death, or he did. Put them in prison. That, that's what he did because he was upholding to an old standard. Who knows this, amen? When you live under an old system, you do things you shouldn't be doing. Come on, when you're, when you're operating under an old system, you're not aligning with God no more. <sighs> Come on now. Come on. So, Paul gets knocked off by his house with that horse by the presence of Jesus, the same presence that illuminates heaven, so there's no need for night, but a presence so bright that it knocked him off his horse. He fell, he couldn't see. Jesus revealed Paul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? You just said it. But he began to tell him, listen, the very one you're persecuting, you're now going to live for. And with the same zeal that you've used to ravage the kingdom, I'm going to use you to advance the kingdom. Now, Paul, see, there's something about living under an old system and coming to the revelation knowledge that you've been operating under an old way. Stay with me now. So when you understand that I've been operating under an old way, an old system, and that I shouldn't been living under no system, but now I find this new covenant that I should be living under. You know what happens? A shame begins to come upon your life. The shame of understanding that, man, I imprison believers. I kill believers, amen, thinking I was doing the right thing, but here I am understanding that my zeal was directed in the wrong location. My zeal was going backwards when it should have been going forward. Come on. Come on. Now, Paul says... Because, and we're all like this, maybe our sins are different, but sometimes we come to God and we walk under a cloud of heavy judgment. Sometimes we come under a heavy cloud of condemnation. Come on, somebody. And Paul, being ashamed of what he had done, said these things. He said, the one thing I do, forgetting the past and pressing forward. He even said, he said, of all the things I've ever accomplished, Everything I've ever done, amen, I have a good bloodline, I was a Pharisee, I was this, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, I've done all these things. But he said, everything I've done is nothing compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ. The infinite, meaning unending value of knowing Christ. Listen, you know what it takes? It takes someone forgiven of much to understand the glory of the new covenant. It takes someone, amen, who's been in both worlds. Amen, who's been in both worlds to understand, my God, what was I doing? It takes a person like that to understand the glory of the new covenant, to understand that the glory of what Jesus did for us on the cross, the significance of those three days, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and the power of Jesus getting back up and saying, it is done, amen, it is finished. So when he understood that, amen, he's like, I got to live all out for Jesus Christ. And it's the same for us. This represents Paul and every one of us this morning, knowing that we are not perfect people, but we are purchased people. So you want to understand this principle that I don't have to be perfect. I just got to be purchased. Want to understand that it means this, that I don't have to even try to be perfect, to try to be perfect. And then when you fall short of being perfected, You'll give up trying. Listen to me. When you try to be perfect, I'm going to decide, and you fail at being perfect, you'll stop trying to be perfect. So I don't put all my energy in trying to be perfect. I put my energy on the mindset that, Lord, I don't have to be perfect. You were. And instead, I've been purchased, meaning I've been redeemed, meaning I've been brought back from the world I was living in, and now I am yours. Come on, somebody. There's power in that. And Paul, I don't know what it is about Paul, but I, more than any other, Paul speaks so much about the new covenant. He speaks deeply about it. He speaks detailed about the difference between the old covenant he once followed with all of his being and the new covenant that actually saved his soul. In his second letter to the Corinthian church, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, he says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Let me take a drink on that. You know why that, that's a waste of time? Because we're only supposed to praise God. 
Come on, when we like to give ourselves pats on the back and say how good we are, that's when we're missing it. It's not how good we are, it's how good he is. Amen? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation, who ask you to write such letters on our behalf? Stop right there. In this time, if people didn't know you, you walked around with a letter. A letter saying he's a good guy. He's a good preacher. He's anointed. He walks in gifts. So we would have to walk around these letters as an introduction. So if people wouldn't take your word for it, they can read your letter. All right? So this is what they did back then. Especially in Corinth. People come to Corinth to preach a word. They come with these letters to the Christian church. And then Paul says, the only letter of recommendation we need is you. Watch this. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter. Written in our hearts, everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It's not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. You've heard this many times. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Come on, are you hearing me? He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. Listen, Paul was adamant. Life comes from the new covenant, but death is a result of the old covenant. Listen, when I read that, I'm like, man, do I need to be preaching this? This is crazy. This is wild. I'm like, it's in the word of God. Lord, you said it. Not me. But Paul was adamant that death results in the old covenant, but life comes from the new covenant. He spoke about it repeatedly in the book of Romans. Because in the book of Romans, the Roman believers were put on this heavy cloud saying, listen, you got to be circumcised to live for Christ. You, you got to follow this way and this law. And he began to tell them, listen, the old covenant brings death. The new covenant brings life. And there's no salvation by law, only by what Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary. Listen, according to Paul, the law only makes people conscious of their sin. It makes them aware of their sin. Stay with me. It points to their sin. The sin that does what? Ultimately leads to death. Only by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ can a person receive eternal life through the Holy Spirit. No one but Jesus. Stay with me. I got a lot, but stay with me. No one but Jesus has ever perfectly fulfilled the law. No one in existence has ever completely followed the law to a T except Jesus. Watch this. Apart from Jesus, we are doomed to hell. And the only person who could have given his life for the sin of all was the one who lived perfect according to the law. Only him could have been the sacrifice we needed. All right? James, the brother of Jesus, said this, that if you've broken one of the laws, you've broken all of them. Right? If you've broken even one of them, you've broken all of them. So that means this. It's all good. That once you've messed up once, you're condemned under the law. But Paul is saying, trying to be saved by keeping Old Testament laws will only end in death because you're not really in a relationship. If you're in a relationship, but there's no love in the relationship, it's only, I got these rules I got to keep. Then you will hate that relationship. I don't love you, but I'm forced to do this. If not, you'll kill me. 
See, under the law, if we try to be saved under a law, and this is all biblical, you're just trying to keep the rules of God. That's it. You don't have a relationship with God. You're just trying to keep the rules of God so you don't go to hell. So, so it's more of, it's not that I love God, it's I'm afraid of hell. And listen, he doesn't want us just to be rule keepers. He wants our hearts. Because once he has our hearts, he knows your life has to change out of your love for me. I don't force you to serve me, but you serve me. And if you do, it's because you love me. And you'll change because of that love. And then once we love God, guess what? Out of our love for him, we will do our best to live a holy life. Not because we're afraid of him, but because we love him. Now listen, this ain't my normal hooting and hollering, have you standing up, running around a building, but I'm teaching you something today. I'm teaching you how to not serve God under a cloud of condemnation no more. Listen, I don't want to be afraid of God. There's a reverence for God. Stay with me. Understand this, because I'm not throwing out the baby with the sink water. (laughs) Bath water. (laughs) There's a reverence we must have for God. You can't live a life serving God afraid of God. Because the moment you think something you shouldn't thought, you're like, oh. Watch. There is a godly fear that we all must have, but not living a life afraid of him. Because if we live a life afraid of God, we can't properly serve God. If we're just afraid of him, we won't do very well. We serve him because we love him. Look what Paul says next in his letter to the Corinthian believers. In verse 7, he said, The old ways with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory, somebody say glory, Glory. that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Somebody's going to catch that. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life, if the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? Exclamation point. Where's that verse at? Exclamation point, meaning he's really trying to get this point out, right? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? The old covenant could only give condemnation, but the new covenant makes people right with God. Listen, right with God, because the truth of the matter is none of us are righteous. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. But God in his mercy gives his own righteousness to us. Meaning you're not righteous, but here's mine. You ain't righteous, not at all, but here's mine. This is so good. He gives us his righteousness to who? To everyone who believes in his son. So all those who believe in Jesus are declared right with God. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes. Now watch this. When you say you believe, it's not a word you say. Because anyone can say they believe. Oh, I'm saying I believe in Jesus. But your life says you don't. Your life don't lie. So some people like to use that verse. Well, I believe. Mm, I don't think so. I'm not judging, but the word of God does a judging. And the Bible says this happens when we get saved. The Bible says that we become new creations when we're saved. You still live the same exact way. Dude, you're smoking right now. You got a big blunt right now, dude. Listen. So when I say I believe, it ushers in change. My belief causes me to pray in the morning now to read my bible to worship my god my belief caused me not to cuss out people on the highway no more 
altar call right now. Are you hearing me? This sums up the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant Paul appreciates the Corinthians. The old, by pointing out sin, brings God's judgment. But the new, through Jesus' innocent life and death and blood, brings righteousness to every believer. Listen, Paul said the old covenant was glorious. Listen, not only did Moses' face shine as he came down from Mount Sinai, but thunder, lightning, earthquakes, clouds, fires, and trumpets accompanied the inauguration of the Ten Commandments. I mean, it, it, was, it was powerful. You were there, you'd be like, whoa, God's real. But as glorious as that was, it was nothing compared with the overwhelming glory of the new covenant. Listen, see, because this, because this, a changed life, a changed life, a redeemed soul is way more glorious than thunder and lightning and earthquakes, amen? Listen, I, I don't want to be surprised at earthquakes, lightning, and thunder. I want to be awed by the fact your life is no longer how it used to be, that you've been changed, you've been transformed, you're a new man, you're a new woman. That is what brings glory to God more than anything else. See, we can clap and say, ooh, look at that thunder, look at that lightning. But guess what? It happens and it's gone. But a changed life, a redeemed soul. Because you know what that does? It don't just change you, it changes everyone around you. God, you have to be real. My mother, my mother ain't addicted no more, God. My father ain't beating on my mother no more, God. You gotta be real. Lord, I don't have that urge to look at that pornography no more. You gotta be real, God. Come on, I've been freed. I've been set free. I've been redeemed by the blood. A changed life, a redeemed soul is way more glorious than natural occurrences. Are you hearing me this morning? Listen, what benefit or what good is a flashlight on a sunny day? Thing on? Can't tell. No, you can't tell. It's sunny outside. But what good is a flashlight on a sunny day? Ain't no good. It's useless. Watch. It's useless. You know what it is? It's unnecessary. So is the awesome glory of a new covenant compared to the old one. It makes what was useless. It makes what was unnecessary. You know why? Because the old covenant was temporary. The new covenant is eternal. Amen. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 12 says this. Since the new way, mm, I love this scripture, I love this verse. Since the new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Here's why. Because now that I'm not walking under a cloud of condemnation, try to witness the mind when you feel condemned. Try to witness the mind when you feel a bunch of shame and guilt on your life. You won't witness, you're doing this all day. You can't even see where God's trying to take you, right? But he says this, the new way gives us such confidence that we can be not just bold, but very bold. Very bold. I love this because I know where my boldness comes from now. Listen, it comes from a confidence in the God I serve. Amen. And because of Jesus, I will not be silenced no more. Come on. Listen, I will not be shushed. I will not be discarded. I will not be disregarded. I will still use my voice. I will be bold. And the world we live in, they want you to shut up, Christian. In the climate we live in, shut up, Christian. I don't want to hear that. But because of this confidence that regardless of what the world wants me to do, I won't. A boldness has come upon me that I will stand on the rooftops. I will declare his goodness. I will say how good God is. Come on. Why are you quiet? Why are you quiet even now in the house of God? Come on. You sit here. I'm
Listen, I can't expect you to be loud outside. You want them to be loud in here. I don't understand. But here's the thing. The world's saying, shut up, Christian. We don't want to hear about your want for religious freedom. We don't want to hear your opinion on murdering thousands of babies every day. We don't want to hear it. I mean, my God. We live in a world where they're offended at a fact that a new judge is pro-life. They're offended. They're, they're, they're blown away. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. You can't believe it? You can't believe it that she cares about life. But you can believe that half of the black population never made it out of the womb? Half! You know what that means? That means, listen, it's not a white black thing. I promise it ain't. My wife's right there. She's Italian. Come on. Truth is, she's a little more gangster than I am. But yes, listen. <laughs> Love you, babe. So listen. But the truth is this. That without abortion, the African-American community will be doubled. But I'm not, I'm not offended at that. I'm offended by the fact that you want babies to come into the world. Why don't you go kick a puppy while you're at it? My God. But apart from that confidence, I don't have the boldness to say it. Without that confidence, I'm afraid of what the world thinks of me. Man, man, I don't care. I ain't got to that point. Like, I can care less. I care less what y'all think. Amen. Listen, I've, I've come to the point like, Lord, I don't care. You can come back tomorrow. And I'm caring about what people who ain't saved think. The devil is a liar. I don't care. And then some people won't come in church as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, and say these things because they care about what their parishioners think. If you think I'm wrong, go to a church who thinks it's okay. You're, you're released. You're blessed. Go. Because listen, we could have this place filled out, but if half the people in this place don't even agree with what I'm saying, then that doesn't cause a positive, that causes a negative. We believe in life. We believe in family. Come on, we believe in those things. It's in the Bible. And here's the deal. I'm going to vote that way. I'm going to vote according to my conscience. I'm going to avoid it according to the word of God. You know what I do? I take faces out of it. It's like a popularity contest for me. I take faces out of it. What do they stand for? You go ask people, hey, the candidate you're voting for, what, what policy do you like? I don't know. I just don't like the other guy. So you want, <laughs> so you want our country to be led not by somebody you believe in because you know their policy, but because you don't like the other dude? You're a moron. Listen, at least tell me you know what they believe in. Don't give me. I don't know how many people will come back next Sunday? <laughs> Jesus said to the masses, if you don't drink my blood, eat my flesh, you can't be a disciple. They all left. He turned to well the state and said, you can leave too. You know why? Because he wasn't looking. He wasn't looking for takers. He wasn't looking for consumers. He was looking for disciples. Verse 13. Remember, we're bold, right? Verse 13. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. The glory that God is giving us, the church, the body of Christ, guess what? It'll never fade away. Remember, under the old system, it's there for a minute and gone. Lightning, gone. Earthquake, gone. Fire, gone. The glory faded away. But for us, it'll be with us as long as we keep our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ. Listen to this, verse 14. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their mind so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writing, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Paul was talking about the Jewish people. 
Whenever he preached, whenever he would preach anywhere to a new city, because he was a missionary, he would always go to the temple first, because that's where the Jewish people were. And he would begin to preach in the temple. And you would think, man, I'm going to go there, and they're going to be so excited to let them know, hey, Jesus, that one, he was the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of a promise. But they rejected it. They even tried to murder Paul many times for preaching Jesus. Listen, remember that veil we talked about last week? The veil that was torn from top to bottom, giving us access to God? That veil that separated man from God covered their hearts and minds. That same veil in the spiritual covered their hearts and their minds. And it did this. It hindered them from seeing the truth. If I, listen, if I put a veil over my face and I meet a new person and they ask me, hey, describe what I look like. I can't because I don't have the whole picture. I'm not not seeing everything God wants me to see. He says in verse 16, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who had who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. You understand what that means? When you look in a mirror, what's it called? A reflection. So when I've had that veil removed, I reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Paul declares that the glory of the new covenant is rooted in the fact that there is freedom in the new covenant. The old covenant keeps me bound. The old covenant keeps me restricted. The old covenant keeps me from doing the things I feel like I can do because I'm afraid of what God might do. But when there's a new covenant, there is freedom. And I don't know about you, but every time I think of freedom, I think of running. I don't know why. But when I think of freedom, I think about just running. Yeah, I'm not running like you're jogging. I mean, running like a kid does. Ah! Running like that. To me, I think running would be a lot more funner if I just ran like a kid all the time. Imagine being on a running trail, you'd be tagging people. You're it. What happened to that guy? But to me, I look at that as freedom. I look at it as freedom, amen, that I can run and I can be free because I'm not in a cage no more. I'm not, I'm not restricted no more. I'm free now. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross brought freedom for anyone who believes he freed us from sin and condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4 says this, and I'm, I'm bringing it down. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-given spirit has freed you from the power of sin, the least of death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. This is Paul again. So God did what the law could not do. Let me say it one more time. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Meaning I didn't satisfy it. He did it for me who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. The old covenant, and it's like, you know, I'm giving you all, I'm, I'm losing my voice. The old covenant was an agreement between God and the children of Israel. The new covenant is an agreement between God and his son. So that means that if it's between God and his son, it also includes us. Because the Bible says for anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. So because we are in Christ, 
that new covenant also includes us because we've been grafted in to the body of Christ. For any one of you who are in Christ, you are a new creation. I ain't who I used to be no more. I'm a new creation. I might go by the same name, but everything else is different. No, I'm not going to that club now. I'm doing all that. I'm going to church in the morning. You need to come with me. I'm not, I'm not doing that stuff no more. I'm not going out with you no more because that's not who I am no more. Come on, I can't be a new me in old places. Come on, I can't be a new me in old places. Meaning I can't be a new me in an old system. Man, I hope y'all catching. This is so good to me. The spirit, not the law, brings us into right living. You need, to, you need to catch this. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, not the law, brings us into right living. You know why? Because it reflects, do I really want to live for God and serve God because of a rule or because of who he is? So it's not the law that brings me into right living. It's the spirit that convicts me. Because now I don't need laws. I just need the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will tell me, you need to make a right instead of make a left. No, 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 you don't need to go with that person. You know, maybe, maybe you weren't thinking about doing anything wrong, but God says through the Holy Spirit, mm, nope. All right? See, the law couldn't tell me that. The Spirit does. Come on, how about this? When you want to get into an argument with your spouse and the Holy Spirit tells you, nope. And then the Holy Spirit tell, tell, tell him you love him. I love you. See what happened. My wife gets me all the time. All the time. Can't stand it. Because it's like so much. I'm like, Lord, give me one. Can I get one? She's like, babe, Lord's going to refresh you. And I'm like, and I'm already irritated about something. And, I, and I'm like, I think she's being sarcastic. What do you mean by that? <laughs> like she's being all spiritual. What, what do you mean? What do you mean refresh? Am I dry right now? What are you talking about? She's like, no, babe. <laughs> Literally like that. I'm like, I gotta be mad now. No, babe, because you've been giving yourself so much to other people. Right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever. So then I get a word from the Lord. First thing that the word of the Lord declares is that I'm gonna refresh you. <laughs> and why? You know what I did? I just started laughing. I'm like, dang. My wife is always getting me. Because I pour out so much. I'm like, man. Um, who you call? It is awesome. But listen, the law couldn't have done that. The spirit does that. The spirit brings us into right living. The spirit is the one that tells us don't do this or do that. Are you hearing me? See, by the Spirit, we change. We, we don't remain the same. It, it, and it comes because by the Spirit, I want to read His Word. By the Spirit, I want to pray. By the Spirit, I allow mature believers who are around me to speak into my life. By the Spirit. And as I hear this right now, listen, the danger of preaching a message like this, and I just want to put this out there, it gives some of us a false belief that I can live however I want to live. Well, you said, Pastor, no, you need to hear the fool, the heart. The truth is this. The new way, under its new system, the new covenant, should make us want to change even more out of a grateful heart, out of what Jesus did for us. It should draw us closer to his presence and encourage us to forsake the old ways, to truly repent of our sins. Why? Because Jesus paid the price for all of it. That's, that's freedom in serving God. It is not by a rule, but it's by my heart. I'm going to serve God by relationship, by everything that's inside of me. And that's what brings real change. Because listen, there, there's a difference between submission and obedience. I can tell my son, go take out the trash. He'd do it. Eventually. Might not have a good heart with it, but he'll do it. 
That's, that's, that's old covenant living. But I'll do it. I ain't happy about it. I don't like it, but I'll do it because they know if they don't, we got some problems. They know. I ain't got to do nothing but look. They know. I thought, <laughs> thought that was the day. <laughs> I thought I was it. Lord, I'm ready. Let's go. Come on, hey. I wish it happened on the day I'm preaching. Lord, I'm ready. I'm going to preach my heart out. Let's do it. Dang it. All right. So anyway, for that false sense of relief, amen. That's obedience, just doing it. Submission is whatever I do, I do it with a good heart. It's more than just doing it. Is being submitted. Amen? That's the power of a new covenant. The glory of a new covenant. Thank you, Jesus. And how was the new covenant established? By the blood. By the blood that was shed for the remission of all our sins. Amen? It'll never fade away, but it will remain forever. Amen? Amen. Come on, give the Lord some praise right now. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening to the Cure Church Lead Summit podcast. If you would like to partner with us, please visit our website at www.thecurechurchls.com and click the Give tab. We thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, Jesus is the cure.